When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome back to Podcast Royal. Rachel, how's your week going so far? So far, so good. How was your birthday this weekend? It was good. It was just like I said, quiet and and low key. And I went back to Georgia and had dinner at home with family. So it was the first year in a while that I didn't go out to a restaurant for dinner. Yeah. Yeah. Well, happy belated birthday. It was on Friday. So on behalf of all of our listeners, happy birthday. Thank you so much. Um, So we'll go ahead and jump into uh, the content today. I um, am kicking off today the start of a new series of episodes focused on one specific topic within our lifestyle segment. I'm really excited about this. Um, So over the next several weeks, our content will be focused on the architectural and interior design elements of some of our favorite royal residences. Can I just tell you how excited I am about this thread of content? Because I, I know you love interior design. I love interior design. I can't wait to hear about each person's house. I'm excited about this too. Um, I, you're right. I love interior design. Um, I love homes with history and character and the UK has some very beautiful older homes. I, um, I watch a little bit of British television and occasionally I'll catch a show on real estate or interior design. Um, and I of course have spent a good bit of time the past couple of years decorating my own home. I moved in in 2018 and um, I have learned a fresh paint of coat goes a long way, um, and it's always fun to, uh, to style a space. So I think this will be a, a fun little series that we'll do, um, and we'll go ahead and jump right in. So our first royal residence that we are covering today is very fittingly Balmoral. I say fittingly because this week our friends in Scotland were celebrating Burns Night, um, which I was not familiar with until I just learned about it the other day. Were you familiar with this one, Rachel? No, I wasn't. And I only really knew about it because Kate, of course, was seen wearing that gorgeous tartan dress for Burns Night. And then, of course, they've been talking about it, but I'm glad you're bringing it up because I'm sure many of our listeners don't know what that is. Yeah, so for those of you who are not in the UK and aren't familiar with this holiday, um, it is a Scottish celebration of the life and poetry of Robert Burns, who wrote several poems, and he also famously wrote the song Auld Lang Syne, which I'm pretty sure we all know that song. I can't Um, ever listen to that song without weeping, by the way. Yeah, I know, it's a good one. Um, so he was, yeah, he was born in Scotland on January 5th, 25th, I'm sorry, which is the official holiday of Burns Night. Um, and traditionally, those celebrating will enjoy Burns Supper, which typically consists of haggis and two side dishes called, or they're referred to as neats and tatties. 
So to give a little backstory on that, um, if you don't know what haggis is, I have actually never had it. Um, I'll have to try it one day, but according to my research, um, it's like a pudding that consists of sheep's liver, heart, and lungs, sometimes mixed with beef and mixed with oatmeal and it's seasoned with spices like onion and cayenne and then packed into sheep's stomach and boiled. Uh, you can count me out of that <laughs> dinner party. That's, I'm good. Thanks. <laughs> that yeah, sounds I mean, disgusting. <laughs> I don't know. I, I can be pretty adventurous and, and I'm willing to try just about anything, but I don't know if, I don't know if I'll like that one or not. I but heard I, of this dish. I had no idea it was sheep's liver, heart, and lungs. I'm going to have to pass on this dish. <laughs> well, I, you could probably do the neeps and tatties. I think I can get behind that. It's just mashed turnips and potatoes. So I think neeps is short for turnips and Patties is short for potatoes. Yeah, I could get behind that, but I'm not going to do that. The, is it haggis? Haggis. Haggis. No, <laughs> that's going to be a no for me. So on to Balmoral. Um, Balmoral is, of course, located in Scotland, and it is where the queen spends her summer holidays. It's actually believed that Balmoral is her favorite residence, and I can totally see why. If you have never seen a photo, go Google it. It is absolutely beautiful. Uh, Balmoral was originally purchased in 1852 by Queen Victoria and Prince Albert. Um, so one thing I didn't know was the original residence was actually demolished uh, by the family. They deemed it too small. And so they replaced it with new construction in 1856. Did you know that, Rachel? No, I didn't. I don't know much about Balmoral. Honestly, the only thing I know is that that is the Queen's summer home mm -hmm. and where the boys, William and Harry, were when they found out about Diana's death. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't know if I knew that. Yeah, they were out there with um, Charles was there, obviously the queen, Philip, and they were planning to reunite with their mother, I think, within the next couple of days, because it was at the end of August when she died. And so that is, that's forever stuck in my mind, those photos of them at Balmoral when Diana died. Yeah, wow. Um, so the style of Balmoral is considered Scottish baronial and Gothic revival. It's constructed of local granite. It's made up of two sections that surround a courtyard and the exterior features this enormous clock tower and these stunning round turrets with pointed tops, which are exactly like what you might imagine a royal castle would have. Um, if you go out there and Google an image, you'll know just what I'm talking about. Uh, but it looks exactly like a Disney princess castle. So the gray stone exterior, uh, certain areas of it feature rich green ivy crawling up parts of the walls. Inside, there are 52 bedrooms, um, which is quite the royal home in my opinion. I mean, you can just imagine how many uh, people have been hosted there over the years and you know, there's plenty of room for all of their friends. Um, and there's also a few notable rooms in the home um, and, and I, I'm gonna mention those specifically when talking about the style of this home. The first one that I'll start with is the ballroom. 
So this large room in the home has a long row of massive chandeliers hanging from a really large center beam in the middle of the ceiling. And the ceiling also features these um, like several dark wooden beams that sort of cross each other, giving the ceiling a coffered look, which is like, uh, like dropped square shapes coming down from the ceiling. So you've got these massive chandeliers hanging. And then at the top of the walls, um, in a row kind of surrounding the room, there are these large deer or stag heads mounted on the wall. Um, and I imagine these are deer that have been hunted by members of the royal family on the estate because mm -hmm. um, we know they do like to hunt. You know what I'm thinking of as you say this, Jessica, is I'm thinking of the crown and <laughs> the Balmoral test, which is not a real thing, listeners, just for the record, but that they do love to hunt out at Balmoral. Yes, and I thought of the crown as well, and I think if you've seen that show, you'll get a good picture for for this um, residence and what it looks like. Um, the ballroom also features trefoil designs throughout, which if you're not familiar with that, it's um, like the little, it's like three circles grouped together that kind of make like a rounded triangle. So when I looked online to see this design throughout the room, it was really difficult to see in, in pictures, but I think from what I could make out, they may have been carved in some dark wood trim work around the room. Um, but I always think of the, is, isn't it the uh, Girl Scout cookie that are called trifle? Yep. They kind of yep. have those, like rounded edges on the cookies. Yep. I can see that in my mind right now. So according to Architectural Di uh, Digest, the ballroom is, is classic Highland style, which is that rugged Scottish Highlands design. So think dark woods, stag heads, stone features. Um, and this style kind of bleeds into other areas of the home as well. A common color throughout Balmoral is dark green. So you'll see it in the walls, the carpet, other furnishings. And another room in the house that's gotten some attention through the years is Queen Elizabeth's study. This room also features green walls um, and other images of the room show green furniture, green plaid carpet, green and white floral length curtains. So we see a lot of green repeated throughout the home. Um, the home also features plaid upholstery, chairs with pleated skirts, wood cabinets, marble fireplaces topped with mirror, uh, mirrors and covered with cozy fire screens. Um, you'll see large clocks, leather bound books, antique framed art, candelabras throughout the home and chintz fabrics and tartans. Here comes tartan again. <laughs> so it's, you know, this home is a very traditional kind of heavy, dark decor. Um, in my mind, I think of it as a luxury hunting lodge style home. That is it's, exactly what I think of. It is like a hunting lodge, a fancy hunting lodge. Yes. yes. Royal. I was, this is not, by the way, and I don't think it's yours either. This is not really my personal aesthetic, but for someone that loves to hunt, and loves that lifestyle, this is a dream come true. Oh yeah, I mean, I think this can be pulled off in a number of different ways, um, but you're right. I mean, it's a fairly masculine design style and to me it's sort of outdated, but also kind of timeless and classic. Um, it, it's like, it feels old, but it's never really gonna go out of style. Yeah. Um, 
And it's just really, I mean, it's stunning from what I've seen. It feels really cozy when you describe it. And, and that kind of got me thinking, I wonder why they don't celebrate Christmas at Balmoral. Because yeah. it just makes me think of, you know, sitting by a warm fire with dim lighting and like a hot beverage and, you know, a tartan blanket and, and snow outside or something. It just feels yeah. very cozy and wintry. I thought the same thing. You read my mind. And I, I, I will be honest with you. I sometimes get Balmoral and Sandringham confused. And so for a second, I was thinking, okay, well, that makes sense because that's where they spend the winter. And I said, but wait, that's not true. They, it's Balmoral is for the summer and mm -hmm. Sandringham is for the winter. The way I think of it is B comes before S. And summer comes before winter, but I get confused too. <laughs> That's a good little uh, way to remember it. For our listeners, um, that was kind of a brief description of Balmoral. Um, I mean, I have never been there. I don't, you know, Rachel, I don't think you've ever been there. I would, um, but no. So I hope, you know, I hope that was a good description of what the home looks like. So I wanted to take from that. And if you're wondering how you can pull inspiration um, and incorporate this into your home somewhere. Um, I've got some ideas for you there. So if you feel like this is too much for you to live with in every room of your house, which you, you probably do, I recommend choosing one area in your home, like maybe a home office or a den or like a man cave or a finished basement and kind of style the room around these elements. So I think it would be stunning to install dark wood cosmetic beams along a ceiling um, in a room of your home. So there are some cost-effective ways to do this. You can look online to DIY it or you can hire it out, but there are ways you can build boxes that look like beams, but they're actually hollow on the inside and you can attach them to your ceiling. Um, so, so think about that, like in, let's say, let's say you're doing a den You've got the dark beams across the ceiling. And then to keep the room a little bit lighter and not too heavier, or not, I'm sorry, not too heavy, I recommend painting the walls a lighter shade, like a soft, creamy white. Cover the floors with a large rug to kind of give it that cozy vibe. And you can choose like a natural fiber rug and layer it with a faux fur animal skin, or you can do a green plaid area rug um, which I think would be a great way to kind of incorporate that plaid theme. Um, or you could hang plaid curtains and incorporate it that way. I also recommend, if you can, try to source some antlers or some deer uh, for the wall. And I will note, you can find faux antlers if you're not a hunter. That's not really your thing. Or but you just can just date all the men that I date who all have these humongous mounted deer heads on there which is very jarring I've I've dated <laughs> the last guy I dated had a huge deer head in the foyer and sometimes I would forget that and I would go to get a glass of water or whatever and be walking in the foyer and it would scare me to death so my my new rule about deer heads because a lot of men that I date do hunt I don't care if we have deer heads in the home, but I do not need them to be in the foyer. We can put them like, the, like what you're saying is perfect. The Balmoral aesthetic is perfect for a man cave or a man room, but yeah. I do not want this aesthetic throughout my entire house. Now in parts of the house, absolutely. We can put 45 deer heads on the wall 
in this one room, but I just, I, I just don't need them out looking at me while I eat or looking at me while I walk in the foyer. <laughs> so I have a question for you. Have you ever been hunting? No, I have shot a gun once. I didn't like it. I don't think I would mind. I love to fish. I don't think I would mind going hunting, but I'm not going to be the one to kill the deer. Um, I've, I just, it, guns just aren't my thing. I, so I would never fit in with, with the Mountbatten Windsors because I would be the one that would be too scared to participate. Well, I have seen some very elegantly mounted deer um, or, you know, antelope or different things like that before. Um, we actually, I grew up in Georgia where we've got a family farm. And so I'm very familiar with going hunting and, um, and all of that fishing, hunting, and you name it. Um, I don't have a lot of experience uh, shooting deer, but I have been deer hunting and I do have one trophy that I, um, a deer I shot several years ago that actually I've got it here. I don't have it mounted on the wall because I haven't found the right place yet. So I, I'll agree with you. It's not going to go in my entryway, but, um, but I'm going to get it up in one of my rooms. I just have where to, are you, where are you keeping it? Cause I don't remember ever seeing it at your house. It's in the guest room right now. Um, I think I have found a wall for it. Um, so I may actually mount that in the next week or two. And I say all of this, look, if you want to have a deer head in your <laughs> foyer, then go for it. But that's just not for me. So we can keep those to the to designated rooms, but there's people, <laughs> and I'm going to get off my soapbox here. But there's people who have um, heads of animals in their in their dining room, and I just I just that's not that makes me that makes my stomach turn a little bit. So, right, yeah, placement is very important. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> So, all right. So once you have sourced some antlers, if you want to do that and, and put them in the room, um, you can also bring in like a big leather sofa. Um, and I recommend covering it with either plaid pillows or a tartan throw or a faux fur blanket to kind of soften it up. And then um, think about how else you can warm up the room with um with like a fireplace element. So if you don't have a fireplace in your room already, there are actually several DIY websites that I've seen online that provide tutorials on how to build like a fireplace front and mantle around um, an electric fireplace. So you aren't actually putting a chimney in your home, but you're buying the electric fireplace that would plug into an outlet and it has some sort of like a digital image or hologram of flames. Um, and a lot of them actually do put out some heat, kind of like a small electric space heater. But you can build a fireplace around these um, and you can take it up to the ceiling or whatever you want to do. And it's basically a, you know, your very own DIY fireplace. So Love that. Um, I, I really like that idea. That's something I would definitely tackle if I had the space for it in my house. Um, and then, you know, also finish out the room with like a marble top coffee table. If you want to bring in the element of marble in the home, um, like they've got in Balmoral. 
Um, and then of course you can modernize it a little bit and, and put a flat screen TV above the fireplace. I did actually read that the Royal family has put some TVs up in Balmoral. So you'll be, you'll be in keeping with them if you do that. And then lastly, I would say add a plush, like a traditional uh, wingback chair with some type of upholstered fabric, like a floral or chintz type fabric to kind of tie it all in. Um, and that would be your Balmoral Den. I love that. I love that, again, for, for certain spots in the house. I love that. Agreed. So real quick for the exterior of the home, if you want to follow Balmoral style, I recommend taking a part of your backyard area. Um, so Balmoral has a flower garden and a vegetable garden. So this spring would be a great time to clear out a space for a garden in your backyard. Um, you could surround it with pretty flowers and do like a border of flowers and then in the center plant your favorite vegetables. And then you could also plant some ivy along the base of your home and start training it to grow up the side of your home. So I, I see this a lot in, in Birmingham actually, and I think it's very pretty. Um, it's really not difficult to do. Ivy grows super quickly and it will climb a wall. So you can, you can either train it by wrapping it around some wire and attaching it to a wall, or you may be able to do it without wire. I'm, I'm not sure how well it will stick on its own. Um, but I'm sure it will eventually attach to the side of your home. I love that. By the way, speaking of gardening, I have said for years that, because I, I have a nice backyard now, I have said that I'm going to plant a garden. I'm going to plant a garden. And I, my gosh, I spend so much time at my house. I have no reason to not have a garden. So Jessica and listeners hold me accountable. This spring, I'm going to plant a garden. Okay, yeah, I'll hold you accountable. And then um, we actually, we should go shopping for some gardening stuff together because I want to do like a little container garden in my garden. Yeah, I really think that I would enjoy that hobby. My mom had a garden when I was growing up and I loved watching flowers bloom. And um, and so I, I mean, again, I spend so much time at home at the moment because of COVID that there's no reason why I don't have a garden. So this this is extra inspiration to go ahead and do this. So I do have a pro tip for you and any of our listeners that want to take on gardening. I learned this last year. Um, so if you have vegetables or anything that you, even flowers that you don't want deer or pests to get to, plant marigold around your your little garden and apparently marigold tastes really terrible and deer do not like it so they'll stay away that is a good pro tip i'm not so concerned about deer in my backyard but neighborhood dogs so <laughs> i don't want them to eat my garden so that's a good tip well, I had a deer eat my garden a couple of years ago when I tried it. And then last year I actually fenced in my yard. So I didn't have any more issues, but the marigold's pretty and it lasts a long time. I was really impressed with it. All right. We're going to have to do this this spring. Done. Um, okay. So that is all we've got on our Royal Residence style today. A big thank you to Architectural Digest for a lot of that information on Balmoral. It was a really good source for me. 
Um, before I hand it over to you, Rachel, we have another round of What the Royal. Yes, I've been wanting this to come back for a couple <laughs> weeks, so I'm so glad this is back. So for our listeners who are not familiar, if you didn't hear this segment, um, <laughs> sorry, I just jumped ahead. I'm so glad you're talking about this. This is really bizarre. I'm sorry, but Charles is, is an interesting person. <laughs> yeah. So Rachel's reading some, uh, some stuff I sent over to her about this. Um, so we have started this little segment and it kind of pops up at random, but it's just silly things that we catch the Royals, you know, doing that kind of make us chuckle or laugh and, and wonder, you know, what in the world they are thinking sometimes. But so this, on this time, uh, the Prince of Wales, uh, we caught a photo of him holding a giant red squirrel this last week. <laughs> so he was celebrating Red Squirrel Appreciation Day as patron of Red Squirrel Survival Trust. Um, I'll note red squirrels are an endangered species in the UK. Um, I think they said on their Instagram that less than 140,000 of them are in the UK today. So I clicked through the Instagram stories of Clarence House and I was just cracking up at the pictures they shared. Rachel, if you didn't see these, I'm going to text them to you. Yeah, please do because I did not see them. So the first picture uh, that I mentioned with the giant red squirrel, it was actually a stuffed animal. It was huge, uh, which made it even funnier. And Prince Charles just looked delighted to be <laughs> celebrating this red squirrel. Um, and there was also a photo of him kind of kneeling down at the top of some steps. And there was an actual live red squirrel, like frozen right in front of him with his legs out. And he looked like he was trying to escape, but the <laughs> camera caught him like at the perfect moment in front of Prince Charles. So <laughs> he was quoted saying, these charming and intelligent creatures never fail to delight. I take enormous pleasure in having them around and in the house when I'm at home in Scotland. Yeah, no. <laughs> There are no squirrels, squirrels in, house. in my house either, dead or alive. <laughs> um, he says they are such inquisitive and delightful characters. They have even been known to hunt down a few of their favorite nuts left in an unguarded jacket pocket. Okay. So these red squirrels in Scotland are living the life if they're at Charles' house. Yeah. I will. He could have them all over the house and never know it. The home is so huge. So. <laughs> Speaking of, I can't wait to see where we go next week on our tour of Royal Homes. This is going to be so much fun. They're so, oh my gosh, the possibilities are endless. Um, Charles is an interesting person. That's putting it mildly. And you know what? If that brings him joy in this COVID world, then I embrace it. Yeah. I mean, I love the red squirrels. They're cute. <laughs> sure. Sure. I can think of cuter animals, but you you do you charles you right well that's all i had for today so i hope that was fun and i will bring you another royal residence with some inspiration next week and i'll hand it over to you i love that i love the what the royal segment i hope that <laughs> the royals keep doing really weird bizarre things 
so that we can have a laugh at their expense. So, <laughs> okay, so we're going to jump right into the Royal Rundown. And I am starting off this week with some really good news. Speaking of animals that are cute, this is more my variety. It turns out that prior to their dog Lupo's passing, the Cambridges adopted another puppy. We have another Yay! puppy. I love dogs. Jessica loves dogs. I just am so happy for them. And it turns out that actually they adopted this puppy before Lupo passed away. So hopefully, I know it had to be challenging to lose Lupo, but hopefully it made the blow a little softer by having another puppy in the house. So the puppy whose name I don't know yet, you haven't heard a name, right? I have not. The puppy is eight months old and is a black English Cocker Spaniel. And this puppy, which I don't even know if it's a boy or a girl puppy, comes once again, like Lupo, from Kate's brother, James Middleton, who, as we know, is an avid dog lover. And apparently the Cambridges are, quote unquote, besotted with the new puppy. There's nothing like an animal in the home to make a house a home. So congratulations to the Cambridges. And speaking of the Cambridges, we have some highs and lows about the couple this week. So we're going to start with the low so that we can end on a high. After only 10 months working in this role, William's private secretary, Christian Jones, has quit, apparently to join private equity group Bridgepoint as a partner. Jones had actually worked for the Cambridges since 2018, starting as deputy communications secretary, then moving up to communications secretary, and finally, as William's private secretary before his departure. Now, he actually worked for Kensington Palace back when Kensington Palace included both the Cambridge household and the Sussex household. So he has worked for Harry and Meghan too. And as such, he could be called to testify in Meghan's lawsuit, which we will talk about in just a moment. So Kate is debuting a new look and I love it. Do you love it? What What are your thoughts on this new straight hair, no more blowouts for the moment? Yeah, so I do like it, but I will say I've seen a lot of people saying they don't miss her shorter style, and I actually loved her shorter hairstyle too. I thought it was so cute, so um, I like both, but yeah, it's it's fun to see her with long hair again. Yeah, so I don't know if this is because this is how I wear my hair. I mean, it doesn't look as, as polished as Kate's, let's be honest, but I wear my hair, my hair, I'm a brunette and my hair is very long and straight. And I don't know if that's why I just have a kinship with this hairstyle. But anyway, I, this is frivolous, but anyway, she has, <laughs> she's, she looks beautiful as always. She's homeschooling the kids along with William. Uh, I'm loving the new look. So I read a report that uh, this is the high coming in for the Cambridges. I read a report on Mary Claire this week that to coincide with her 10 year wedding anniversary in April, which I cannot believe that that is, it's been a decade since they got married. Um, obviously that also means 10 years of being a member of the family. The queen is planning something special for the Duchess of Cambridge, a surprise, quote unquote. This comes after the queen made Kate a Dame Grand Cross of the Royal Victorian Order back in 2019 to mark she and William's eighth wedding anniversary. So Jessica, do you have any thoughts on what the queen's surprise might be? I really don't. I mean, I don't know of any other honor that she could receive that would be 
higher than um, than what she was given in 2019. Yeah. Of course, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind is like, ooh, maybe she'll give her some fancy jewelry, some royal, <laughs> you know, jewelry. But I'm sure it's not that. I'm sure it's something else. What do you think? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I I'll be honest with you, I don't know much of the ins and outs of the titles. I should probably research that more but I don't know a higher title that she could give her other than the Dame Grand Cross of the Royal Victorian Order. Um, but I'm excited to see what it is because I, I was happy that the queen gave her that honor in 2019, but I thought it was a little random because eight years of marriage is not insignificant by any means, but it's also not a kind of a milestone anniversary. Mm -hmm. So I, again, was happy to see it happen, but I didn't really get it. And so I, I don't know, it could be anything from more patronages, which really translates to more work, but also right. those are also those are our honors too. So I don't know, I'll be very interested to see um, what what happens, but I, I know that something will happen. So and this is coming apparently from insiders. So I'm excited and we'll keep you posted if we hear more. So we're going to switch over to the Sussexes for a minute. This is just all just gross news, but uh, Megan's half-sister Samantha is publishing a book and I saw it come up on the coming soon list from Barnes and Noble and as tempted as I am to read this book, I, I don't think I'm going to because it just seems just icky. Also, her father Thomas is working on a documentary, so it's like, gosh, you know, who needs enemies when your family treats you that way? But um, we also have some updates on Megan's lawsuit. So she is pushing to avoid a full trial in her case against the mail on Sunday for invasion of privacy. As of this recording, we still don't have a word in the ruling in the summary judgment, but we will keep you posted. Obviously, I'm sure she's pushing to avoid a full trial to avoid all the publicity that comes along with it and putting people like Christian Jones, who I mentioned earlier, in awkward positions of having to testify. So, of course, this all stems from that letter that Megan wrote to her father, Thomas, that was ultimately published. So, so I have to ask you, what are your thoughts about that letter? I think it was a private letter. And I, I think that the, the Mail on Sunday overstepped their bounds. And I... Um, I'm in, a, I'm, I'm in total agreement with, with Megan on this. How about you? So I think I'm, I'm going to differ with you a little on this one, and I'm not totally sure how I feel about it, but I mean, they raised a good point that, you know, if it was a private letter, would you have the palace read and approve it? Would you need them to do that for a letter between a daughter and her father? Um, I, you know, I saw the excerpts from the letter and I thought the wording was just a little bit strange and the way certain events were referenced were a little bit strange. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it was a personal letter that was not intended to be read or if they anticipated it may be leaked and that's why she had it reviewed. But I do get icky feelings about this whole thing all the way around with everything going on with her family and this whole letter. I don't really know what to believe, to be honest. Um, so I don't know. And I, I don't know what will be in that book that's being published by her sister or the documentary. I feel like you just can't trust any of the information. I just think 
it's just so gross. I mean, my family is so tight and we would, I mean, we're certainly not perfect, but we would never do this to one another and just selling out a family member for publicity and fame and money. Mm -hmm. It just, it's just all, I, I honestly try to avoid a lot of the Markle stuff because it just doesn't make me feel very good. And I just, I just hope that I just, I can't, Samantha is a half sister. And so, okay, I don't agree with it, but to have a father do that to his daughter is mm -hmm. just really disappointing. I agree. And I honestly have had zero interest in anything to do with this story. Um, I don't really have any desire to read any books or watch any documentary. I don't either. I don't want to step away from it all. I don't, I don't want to read the book, like, because I just think that it just seems so gratuitous, like, just that she's just doing it for money, and I, I, I read a lot of nonfiction, but I feel like her book would be more fiction than nonfiction, just mm -hmm. to sell copies, so, right. ugh, just so salacious and just gross, so, anyway, speaking of the Sussexes, we saw a Q&A with Harry in Fast Company last week, where he said, that social media was to blame for the recent riots at the Capitol. So in part, Harry said that he, quote, leans on the experts to help give guidance on how to reform the state of our digital world, how we make it better for our kids, of course, but also for ourselves. Now, the avalanche of misinformation we are all inundated with is bending reality and has created this distorted filter that affects our ability to think clearly or even understand the world around us. What happens online does not stay online. It spreads everywhere like wildfire into our homes and workplaces, into the streets, into our minds. The question really becomes about what to do when news and information sharing is no longer a decent, truthful exchange, but rather an exchange of weaponry. So some pretty strong words from Harry, who also denied that he and Megan had quit social media saying, quote, we will revisit social media when it feels right for us, perhaps when we see more meaningful commitments to change or reform. But right now, we've thrown much of our energy into learning about this space and how we can help. So strong words from Harry about, obviously, a passion project of his and Megan's. So, uh, well, I was going to say, I think people are so deeply tied to social media at this time unfortunately i don't know if we'll see people pull away from it but i do applaud him for coming out and saying that and standing his ground when it could be so beneficial for he and megan to to grow their brand through social media um i would love to see a following um you know with their lead on this and see people pull back from social media because I definitely agree, you know, it should be a fun place, but it's gotten very distorted and, and dark in a lot of different places. And um, I would, I would totally support it. I'm just glad to hear that they're not gone forever. There's, there's still a crack in that door. So um, I mean, yeah, we, we love seeing glimpses of them, you know, um, but if we could find um, a better way to, yeah. to do that, I would definitely support it. Absolutely. I, I hope that the culture is such that they come back soon and it gets healthier. So um, our last 
item on the Royal Rundown is we are officially on Baby Watch for Yanny, who is due in mid-February. So I wanted to update our listeners and you, Jessica, on the leading names right now in the odds makers polls for baby names. The leading names right now are Grace and Arthur, which are followed by Victoria, Arabella, and Alice for a little girl. I don't know where Arabella came from, but okay. And Frederick Edward Florence, which I, to be honest with you, wasn't aware was a boy's name, and Albert for a little boy. So what are your predictions, Jessica, and what name would you like to see them choose? So I think we touched on this a few weeks ago, and um, I feel like Arthur has popped up before in other conversations when we've had royal babies. Um, I don't remember who who we were suspicious might name their kid that in the past. Pippa's son is named Arthur. Okay, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Um, But I honestly love Alice for a girl and Albert for a boy. I think those would be my top picks. What about you? So interestingly, this is not my top pick, but Arabella, where that might be coming from is, I don't know if you knew this, but I love the Kennedys as well. And uh, Jack and Jackie Kennedy, they, their firstborn child, um, she uh, was not alive at birth. They named her Arabella. So that might be where that came from. So Arabella was born in, I believe, 1956, and then followed by Caroline, and then followed by JFK Jr., and then followed by Patrick, who died at two days old. So uh, maybe that's where Arabella is coming okay. from. Not so sure. That's interesting. Um, Arabella must have, um, it must be a, a theme with White House families because I don't know if you knew this, but I think Ivanka Trump's daughter's name is Arabella. Really? I mean, it's a beautiful yeah. name, but it doesn't really, it doesn't really fit in with Alice and Grace. And no, it doesn't sound like a British royal family name at all. <laughs> no, it doesn't. And so I'm thinking also Grace might come from Grace, of course, Grace Kelly from the Royal House of Monaco, which we are due for a chat about that family because I think you and I both love that family very much. So my picks at the moment are probably Victoria and Albert. I don't personally like the name Albert for a little boy. It sounds very grown up for a little boy, but also, you know, that's that's how the British Royal family does. They pick very mature names and, and the kids grow into them. Um, but I, I don't know. Edward is kind of already being used by Eugenie's uncle. Um, I, I love Victoria. Of course, that's a classic royal family name. Um, we'll see what happens. So we'll, and, and we'll continue to update on what the odds makers are saying. But the front runners at the moment are Grace and Arthur. So for our final segment, I want to ask a question that's been burning on my mind. And that is, do we think that Eugenie is going to deliver at the Lindo Wing? And so for, for those that don't know what the Lindo Wing is, it's a tradition. And we're going to talk here for a moment about how it started. So there is a tradition of royal moms giving birth in what's called the Lindo Wing of St. Mary's Hospital in London and then introducing the baby to the public on those iconic Lindo wing steps. I'm sure that Jessica, you and our listeners can see this in your mind right now. 
the press and the public line up to catch the first glimpse of the newborn. So I don't know if you all knew this listeners, but the tradition started actually with Princess Anne who introduced her firstborn Peter there in 1977. Before that, interestingly enough, all royal babies were born in palaces. So all four of the queen's children were not born at a hospital. William and Harry were both introduced there in 1982 and 1984 respectively. And of course, in recent years, we've seen Kate introduce all three of her babies there. Megan did not do that. She said no to the tradition when Archie was born. And to be honest with you, I have very strong opinions about the Lindo Wing tradition, especially with Kate. I think it is a little bit insane to expect a mom who just gave birth hours ago to have full makeup, a full blowout if you're Kate and be ready in heels, mind you, like a couple hours postpartum to introduce their new baby usually no more than six or seven hours postpartum. Megan opted to introduce Archie to the press about 48 hours after his birth in a photo call at Windsor Castle. So Jessica, my question for you, do you think Eugenie and Jack will take part in the Lindo Wing tradition upon the birth of their first child, presumably next month? We are recording this on January 26th, so pretty sure it's going to be a February baby. I think it is important to note here that Eugenie herself was born at the Portland Hospital, as was Sister Beatrice, so I don't know if that weighs into your decision. Yeah, so I do not think that she will um, go with the Lindo Wing tradition. Um, I mean, I won't be surprised if she does, but I get the feeling that that won't be something that they'll choose, um, you know, given one that was not um, what her parents did with her. Um, and I sort of feel like she's going to reserve that for Kate and William to do with their kids. And I think she'll choose something a little more private. I mean, you know, the UK has been in lockdown with COVID and um, there's just a lot of stuff going on right now. I kind of don't expect to see that. So I think I said on an earlier episode of the podcast that I thought they would kind of for a morale boost. But because COVID is so rampant and strong right now in the UK, and I doubt that that will resolve itself in the next couple of weeks, the whole Lindo Wing photo call, that's, that's a super spreader event right there, right? I mean, you like all these photographers clamoring for the best shot. There's no social distancing. So I think for that alone, you're right. I don't think it's going to happen. I think maybe if COVID wasn't the case, it would be, because I, I don't know. I mean, I, I hope Kate and William have one more child in them, but they might be finished. And so, you know, they might, and obviously Harry and Megan, if they have more children are not going to be doing that tradition. They live an, a continent away. So I think for morale purposes, maybe if COVID wasn't happening, that, that might be on the table, but because of COVID and because of the family, um, decision at Christmas to avoid Sandringham because they didn't want the crowds. I think that it's going to be a no-go. Yeah, we'll see, but I think you're right. I think it's going to be a no-go, but I can't wait to see how they debut the baby. Um, I hope it's more than just Instagram, but we that's, that's what we might have to do because of COVID, because obviously that it would be 
uh, dangerous to have a photo call with lots of photographers, like even Harry and Megan did, um, because everybody's trying to avoid crowds right now. So we're on baby watch. I know that you are all on baby watch. And that wraps up episode nine, my friends. Thank you so much for tuning in. Follow us on Instagram at Podcast Royal. Email us at hellopodcastroyal at gmail.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. Finally, we are on Apple. So please um, continue to follow us on Spotify. Thank you for all of those that have been loyal on Spotify, but we are on Apple now as well. So feel free to get on Apple and subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. And we will see you lovely people next week for episode 10, double digits, baby. Have a wonderful week and we will see you in a week. Bye. Bye.